0: You think you're so goddamn high and mighty just because you're a goddamn lighthouse keeper? Well, you ain't a captain of no ship, and you never was. You ain't no general. You ain't no copper. You you ain't the president, and you ain't my father. And I'm sick of you acting like you is. Sick of you laughing,
1: snoring,
0: and goddamn farts. you damn! goddamn, goddamn farts smell like piss. Smell like jism. Like rotten dick. Like like curdled foreskin. Like hot onions fucked a farmyard shithouse. I'm, I'm sick of your smell. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it, you goddamn drunk, you goddamn no-account, son-of-a-bitch, bastard liar. That's what you are? You're a goddamn drunken, horse-shitting, short, shit liar. A liar. (sighs) You have a
2: way with words, Tommy.
0: Hello again, and welcome to another episode of 1001 by One, where each week we take a film out of the book, 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die. Discuss it, analyze it, and ultimately decide whether or not it should be in the book. My name is Adam St. John.
2: My name is Britt Reinholdt Hobson.
0: And
1: I am Joey Rogate. And we're here today to talk about 2019's The Lighthouse. Get your subtitles ready, folks. This one is... <laughs> the, you know, it's another light week from us, um, and you just a lot of paying attention. And before we start getting into everything, make please make sure you're following us on all socials. We're at a thousand and one by one Twitter and Instagram. Instagram will be active um, very
2: soon, I promise.
1: But times really will be super active. So before we really get into everything. What are we recommending, guys? What movies are we recommending? Adam, let's start with you.
0: Um. So uh, I I watched a a film. I think I it was one of the films. I uh, you know I we were talking just off mic about this. Uh, I I just I've been on a plane a lot lately in the last couple of days, and um on the way out to uh, to Washington, I watched a movie that uh, is definitely going to be in some contention for some Oscars. By the time this releases actually maybe it'd be way more relevant um but I just watched uh I watched Todd Field's tar starring oh. Kate Blanchett um uh Joey have you seen it yet
1: no um I was planned to see it Friday but I had a little snafu so I will be watching it this weekend
0: and, well and and you know I, I know you both know this I I don't live near a movie theater and so when I heard that this dropped, on uh premium VOD, I was like, Oh, well that's, that's cool. I can actually, I can, I can watch it now. Um, and it is, it, it, it there's, there's the trailer really does set up the world, but there's a lot going on. Um, basically, Kate Blanchett plays this composer, Lydia Tarr, who is like the, f- one of the foremost composers in the world. And she's the first female conductor in Berlin. And there's uh, that she, she is, she's sort of living this myth and she's, you know, she's, and it's about so much. She's, she plays, a, she's a lesbian, and her and her partner have a daughter. And so that's, that's part of the world. But she also seems to maybe be having some extramarital affairs. Um, she's definitely interested in younger, like college age gals. Uh, but she's also not afraid to speak her mind. And that kind of gets her in her trouble. The, the movie's also very much about social media and cancel culture among, a lot of other things but at the at the, oh, wow. at the center of this Kate Blanchett is just I mean when is she not but like she's really really knocking this out of the park and if you Todd Fields only made two other movies and they're both great he made in the bedroom and he made little children um and I I, I little children especially I, I dig and it, it's different and it's very it's paced in a really kind of slow burn of a way and it's like two hours and 45 minutes um but it's yeah, it was
1: longer than I thought it was going to be based off what I knew about it. So it, it makes me really interested to all the extra layers to it.
0: Yeah. And the the ending is controversial in the, in the uh, respect that I, I've heard some people say it's kind of a cop-out ending. I uh, was blown away and, and honestly quite tickled by the ending. It's one of those endings where it's like, there's no way they're going to end it there. Are they? And then they do. And you're like, good for you for taking a chance on that. Um, but I, love uh, that. I really, I honestly, I, I really dug it. And, um, I, you know, it's very, very well, at least now in, in November here, as we're recording this, it's very early in Oscar season, but, um, definitely on, but... Uh, she's going to be nominated for this.
1: Yeah. Everyone's everyone. I know. I mean, I know two other people who saw it and they both said the same thing. She's unbelievable and they love the ending.
0: No one I've talked to in real
1: life has had a problem with the ending. <laughs>
0: But yeah, it's hard, and it's you know as of now, and probably you know it probably won't go off. So you can it's you can rent this. So I would I would highly suggest you you rent it.
1: Yeah, it's it's on video on demand, Prime, and um, somewhere else. It's it's pretty there if you when you go and get into it, which is nice because it's even here where I have seven theaters within fifteen minutes of me. It's awful. It's impossible to see. So the video on demand is nice. I can't imagine how hard it is for people who aren't so. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, I got to love that PVOD. Yeah, I (laughs) do.
2: So uh, my recommendation this week will not win any Oscars, um, would never be nominated for any Oscars. I was looking for something Lovecraftian. But as we all know, there aren't very many well done Lovecraftian movies other than or cosmic horror movies other than maybe like The Thing. Um, but I decided to go with 2017's The Ritual. It's directed by David Bruckner. It's available on Netflix. And if you haven't seen it already, basically, it's a group of friends who go hiking, uh, go on a hiking holiday through the forests of Sweden and encounter a sinister living, uh, sinister being living amongst the trees. I don't want to go too far into it because I really think this is one of those movies you should go in blind, uh. Especially if you enjoy something that kind of meshes Lovecraft and folklore. So go for it if, if that's something that's in your wheelhouse. I hate camping, so this is a reason for me not to go camping. And it's also based on, based on a book, which I haven't read yet, but it's on hold at the library. So yeah, uh, The Ritual. I think it's fun. It's, again, not going to win any Oscars. Didn't back in 2017, but it's, I still think it's a good time.
1: Have you seen that Joey? Very cool. Yeah, I'm a big fan of it. I
0: I I I mostly like it, and I can't remember it all that well, but I remember having horror has a especially recent horror has a hard time pulling like landing, like stick the landing, and I don't I don't know if the ending quite stuck it for me. But I most of it is an enjoyable ride. I definitely liked the bulk of the movie. Yeah, the ending's
1: for what it is, I was actually okay with the ending, but I see what you're saying. Because a lot of the ending, a lot of horror now, the endings are the, my biggest complaint. One we'll talk about later. Um, so, my recommendation is a movie that I have, like, connected with the lighthouse in my brain. Also 2019's Ari Aster's Midsommar, starring Florence Pugh. Um, you know, Back Back to Sweden. Uh, going, you know, college students going for a, I you know, think they're going to learn about an ancient culture festival and things go quite awry. It is heavy in information, heavy, it's beautiful to look at. It's one of my probably favorite movie going experiences because of all the horror movies I've ever seen in my life, it was the first time I've ever left scared. Um, I saw it on a, the week it opened, I knew nothing about it, but I was like, oh, it looks cool, I'll go. So on a Wednesday night at ten o'clock, and it was a theater right by my house that I could walk to. It's about a ten minute walk if you're moseying. It took me about forty minutes because I thought every car was trying to rob me and I was hiding in bushes like running. <laughs> that that's not how I function. So it was um it's really stuck with me I've probably I've seen it a bunch of times before my poor wife every time she falls asleep it just happens to be on tv and then she wakes up at an awful scene she's never seen it she's just seen the awful parts of it but I do think it's actually a fantastic movie and of the you know the newer horror movies where I do think the endings don't land I think this movie just knocks it out of the park from start to finish so and and they're just kind of connected in my brain so I, I that's where I went immediately and
0: I saw have, have you seen the director's cut? Because I've not yet. Um,
2: no, I haven't.
1: I have not. I, I th- I've already given it probably a solid 21 hours of my life. I don't know <laughs> think I need the director's cut.
2: It's one of those movies that I don't need to see it very often. Um, there are just too many other movies out there to watch. So I'll probably, within the next year, watch the director's cut. But I, I just haven't had the time to dedicate to it.
1: Yeah. Boy. All right. So today, before we fully... Jump ahead. We're talking about the lighthouse, directed by Robert Eggers, starring Willem Defoe and Robert Pattinson, with Valerie Carmen and Logan Hawkes and literally no other human beings. Two lighthouse keepers in the 1890s New England battle each other and the reality of their own identities in a supposed month-long stay to tend to a lighthouse. While there may be more questions than answers, one thing is clear: turpentine and honey is not good for anybody. Oof. That's that's the takeaway. Um, <laughs> so this movie, movie was nominated for a bunch of awards. Um, it won a few. Cannes Fil- Film Festival. Robert Eggers won the Fipresci Prize. I'm, I'm a bit terrible with words. I'm not trying to be insulting. I think that's pretty close. Okay, thank you <laughs> for directors. Um, Independent Spirit Awards. Willem Dafoe won Best Supporting Male. Independent Spirit Awards also. Jaron Blaschke won Cinematography. London Film Critics Circle Awards. Robert Pattinson won British-Irish Actor of the Year for this. San Diego Film Critics. Jaron Blasky won Best Cinematography. The Satellite Awards. Willem Dafoe won Best Supporting Actor. And he also won that in the Seattle Film Critics Society.
0: I definitely marked that
1: one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of all the ones I was looking at, I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it was like, good job, Seattle. So... Is this in the IMD Top 250? What do you guys think?
0: No. If you didn't look. I, I yeah, did. It so is... I'm not, I'm not going to. Okay. Yeah. Oh, no. It's not. And I'm surprised it's not.
1: I'm,
2: I don't agree with that, but that's okay. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not
0: think... surprised either.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it would be just because the way... But, you know, the recency bias of the IMDb two, Top 50 more than anything.
0: Yeah, it's a real thing.
1: Oh, yeah. So, but, you know, deeper down what people actually voting, do I think it is? But No, but the way that thing plays out, I was quite surprised. <laughs> All right. So, it's time for lists. If we average the three of us out, we're me- medium on lists.
2: <laughs> we, we're um, so, fine with them. They're
0: okay. I love lists. We're, I'm a big fan. We're balanced like a fine wine.
1: <laughs> and balance is the most important thing. So... I found a list, another a recent list from MovieWeb from October of 2022. Top 10 performances in a horror movie ever.
0: Oh, alright.
1: And, and they, they, they really focused on the ever, which I found interesting. Number 10, our friend Willem Dafoe in The Lighthouse. Number 9, Ellen Burstyn in The Exorcist. Number 8, Kathy Bates in Misery. Yup. Academy Award winning. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Number 7, Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive. Number 6, Jack Nicholson in The Shining. Number 5, Anthony Hopkins Silence of the Lambs. Number 4, George C. Scott in The Changeling.
0: I I've not seen that yet
1: oh check it out
0: I, I it's own, cool I, I ha- yes I will I will <laughs> you just pull it off the right I, now well no I don't <laughs> want to get up but yeah it's yeah
2: <laughs> of course you have it you have like everything
0: that's amazing
1: check that out though it's cool you um, own it
2: you absolutely need to watch it I, I, I,
0: I know <laughs>
1: oh man I'm jealous of that problem number <laughs> three. Tony Collette in Hereditary. Oh, I like that. I like that. Yeah. 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 Uh, I was happy that was there because I, I think that should have been nominated when we're oh, talking it, about nominating. Absolutely. Things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Number two, Jeremy Irons in Dead Ringers.
2: Oh, yes. Yes. Absolutely, yes. It, I, yeah.
0: I need to watch that again. I, I, I was lukewarm to Dead Ringers, to be, to be perfectly honest.
2: I like it. Big surprise. It's fucking weird.
0: I like yeah, Cronenberg. That, that, I just, that one is, I don't know. Yeah.
1: Jeremy Irons is what I think about when I think about that movie. Like, I don't think about Cronenberg as much. Like, I what? think about I think about Irons as the twins.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, of course. Of course.
1: Yeah. So, like, I, for- I forgot that was a Cronenberg movie when I was going through the lists. And then number one, Anthony Perkins in Psycho.
2: Yeah, I don't know how I feel about that one. I don't. I, I don't think it's a number one performance. Honestly, I think Toni Collette should be moved to number one. Personally, I, um... I, 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 have,
0: I have no qualms with that.
2: Her performance in Hereditary is just off the wall. It's so good. Actually, I The actually dinner table it scene
1: before. of, like, itself.
2: <laughs> the dinner table scene? And even when she screams and then her face goes blank because of the possession... Oh, sorry, spoilers for Hereditary, y'all, but, um... <laughs> When she screams and there's just, she goes to blank. I'm like, how did you do this? How, how how did you accomplish this? You wonderful goddess of a person, of like walking amongst us.
0: I mean, she could have been on there for uh, The Sixth Sense. She could be on that list.
2: She's so good in The Sixth Sense. Ugh. She's just, she should be in everything. Tony Collette for everything. she's
0: just really good. Yeah.
1: But, so that brings us to The Lighthouse, the movie we're here for. Where do we start on this? Because the first thing that I kind of thought about, so I'm I'm a pragmatic person, and I thought about the scene when Tom is telling Ephraim, you know, about the gulls and don't kill the gulls. It's bad luck. He's like, just rolling his eyes at him, and I'm just, yeah, that's me. And I was, I just thought, that's where right. I. <laughs> Just the, you know, the myth versus the reality of it and the pragmatic. is just like, no, no, while he's getting chased by a one-eyed seagull.
2: I am like the full opposite of that. Whereas if somebody don't said sell. don't <laughs> fuck with the seagulls, I'd say absolutely because they, they have the souls of sailors, right? Because that is what I latch on to. Um, so I, I do fall very much in line with uh, a lot of Robert Eggers' uh, thinking. As I was real, like watching interviews with him, and I thought, oh, okay, yeah, this makes a lot of sense to me. He loves occultism. He loves um, religion. He loves uh, Lovecraft to a degree, not completely, um, which I also agree with. Uh, and and everything that he was talking about, I was like, yeah, I I get it. I get where you're coming from because I I truly do fall on the opposite end of the spectrum from you. I am um, married to a person who would say, absolutely no the seagull is just a seagull so we two two ends of of the spectrum there
1: it all goes back to balance right Mm -hmm, but but man Tom is proven right quick (laughs) but you know just let's start where the movie starts two guys next to each other on a boat in their own worlds right like how far apart they are while next to each other I, i love the opening and just them walking up and just the silence and just the noise and that terrible foghorn.
2: It's a beautiful opening and and I just like watching it you realize like oh he had a vision from the beginning that's why they erected an entire lighthouse so that he could film it the exact way that he wanted to film it so we could see the pictures that he was trying to to show us. Um, I love the fact that it starts with just that foghorn and the music I think it really sets the tone and the atmosphere which is you know this is definitely a movie that I mean could we say it's more style over substance I think it depends on who you're talking to but it it's definitely very high in that stylized uh in in the style that it is so I think that opening sets it up for hey we're we're gonna be real intense about the way this movie is supposed to look
1: yeah, and just the environment, you know, it's its letting you, it's keeping you uncomfortable off the bat. There's so much style to it. And I think there's a lot of substance, but I think the style adds into the substance.
0: I totally agree. So I, I, I want to, I, I'm still, so I, I told you before that there's uh, like a con- confession that I was going to make uh, on the pod. And and generally speaking, any any podcast I'm on, I usually don't do multiple watches I, I i don't um and a lot of the times that comes from when you watch like making of featurettes or long sort of like documentaries about the making of the film it's kind of like watching it a second time when like you you get so much background information uh now i was not privy to that on this go because of <laughs> being in the air so much um so i i did watch it twice and and so that's my second and third time—no, my third and fourth time seeing this movie. And I, I, I'm, I don't know how I feel, but I—I what I would like to do is I would like to read from a, a review from when the movie came out. Um, this is from the San Francisco Chronicle, uh, a guy named Mick LaSalle. I'd like to uh, read the first little part, and I'll start with the title of his, uh, his review, which uh, is as follows. The Lighthouse is a film so well made that it stinks. Uh, And now I'd like to read just a a little bit here. Um, The Lighthouse exists in a world of stale tobacco, flatulence, and chamber pots in tiny rooms of bad breath and filthy underwear. A 19th century world in which the toothbrush has not been invented and no time traveler is there with a bottle of Listerine. It's a rare film that makes you feel that you can smell the characters, but this one reeks. Directed and co-written by Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse was made as it was intended. To emphasize the claustrophobia, its aspect ratio is close to that of a square. It's shot in a glossy black and white, which gives it a detached quality, allows for beautiful uses of moonlight and shadow, and makes the characters played by Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson seem mythic and archetypal. It places two men in a difficult environment and pits them in a psychological duel. All this is good, or could have been. But having attended to the movie's look and atmosphere, having painstakingly breathed life into a setting and brought us into a world, Eggers fails to give us the one thing that might have sustained an audience's interest over the course of 109 excruciating minutes. A compelling story. He gives us nothing even close to one. What we get instead is a premise. So I'm gonna stop there because it, it keeps going. And I'm gonna be I'm gonna be real. I I can't argue with anything that this guy has said Uh, and and that's because i think that this movie is about a lot of things and i actually think that is is part of its detriment is that it it's it's about like i was just writing down some themes on this most recent view i wrote down isolation uh it's about repercussions it's about power dynamics it's about forbidden love it's about superstitions and myths and tradition and wanting what we can't have and masculinity and identity and alcoholism and truth versus facts and perception and outrunning your past and i was like too many It's too many things and i think that that's for me at least that's that's uh kind of a problem
1: (laughs) yes it's so I, so I had, I mean, I have a million themes, but I, so I kind of broke them down that it's okay. This is, it's identity. And then things that fell under identity, I'm asking. So I kind of broke it down to subs. And I, you know, if I'm looking at, it, I had identity, mythology, and addiction, mental health is like the main headings. And then all the other things that came under it. So I think when I broke it down like that for me, and listen, I, I know a lot of people agree with you and like, that guy's a good writer. But, um, you know, I think it hit for me because I I think when I'm, the way I broke it down, like, and I, I love super theme heavy things. But it's, you know, but I see when, because some of them, when they're overlapping themes, it gets hard to what are you hitting at right now? And I think that's where it felt a little bit long at times.
2: For me, I actually really appreciated that because we are only watching two people. So it very much feels like um, a it, it is the experience of really it's 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 Howard's experience. It's Thomas Howard's or. Ephraim's experience whichever name you want to go with uh it's his experience so everything we are are learning about this entire story is from his perspective we have no idea Wake even really exists right so for me I thought that was such an interesting exploration because it's very obvious from the beginning that something is wrong with Howard that that he's not necessarily on the he's not necessarily okay so I felt like we were exploring all of these kind of jumbled themes along with him as he was trying to figure out how to be this part that he put himself into so for me those yes there were a lot of themes but it also gives you a lot to try to kind of dissect and look look at in this film in my opinion
1: no, I, and I like that because there is so much to him, and whether or not Wake exists is a funny thing. Because I didn't really think about that till I think this was my fifth and sixth time watching that. So that the second time I was like, "Oh, interesting." Breaking the leg at the end. Maybe they are just one. I saw somebody write like, "How do you write in Old English?" Time is a time is a flat circle.
2: I mean, I had that thought the first time I watched it. I kept thinking, is this really happening, or are the things that we are seeing are they just projections of how um, Howard, you know, Thomas Howard, is feeling during this time? Is that really what Wake is doing? Is Wake really offering him alcohol, or is that the, you know, his shadow personality? If you want to you know, think about it in other terms, is that his shadow personality trying to to force him to fall back into his addiction, even though uh, obviously he has an addiction. It's never specified in the movie but it doesn't really have to be they I think they lay it out pretty well so I I thought about it the first time because I just thought that was such an interesting idea and there are so many ambiguities in this film everything is so open which is on purpose to give people an opportunity to make assumptions and and find connections where maybe they didn't even tend to have connections but that's okay that's what we do right we dive into movies and we rip them apart and we try to figure out the reason.
1: And I think the, you know, what's real, what's not is such a, a, a fun aspect of this that each time I watch gets more and more because, oh, he's sleeping now. Now he's in his, you know, now, you know, wake sleeping oh Now he's in his full light wiki gear right behind you. So it's, you know, when is it real? When is it not? And as the alcohol gets more and more, how Ephraim or Howard kind of gets so much less reliable in his in his point of view.
2: So when i was doing research on this film specifically did either of you go into like the the story that um robert eggers found and kind of used as a uh a, that it's it, a part of the inspiration for this the smalls lighthouse tragedy from from wales
1: yeah it was from what like 1801 i think yep
2: 1801 in and in the smalls lighthouse which is what 20 miles off of the saint david peninsula in pembrokeshire in wales I don't know if that's how you said it. I should have asked my husband. I didn't. Um, but basically, sure two like, housekeepers who did not get along. Like, it was noted multiple times that they didn't enjoy each other's company. They had physical Everything you read about it,
1: they got they did not get along well. And the one guy had a pretty sketchy history.
2: Yes, exactly. So then when Griffith had a freak, well, it's either he got sick or had a freak accident um and and did pass away thomas howell decided to uh create a makeshift coffin for him because he didn't want to get charged with his murder and he strung it up on the lighthouse and how this lighthouse worked was that there was um that like it was just the lighthouse with a cabin on the top so he strung it up to the top and then a wave crashed over it broke the coffin apart but Griffith's body was still there and it was tied to the top of the lighthouse and every time a wave would crash over it, the wind would come one of his arms that had like broken loose waved back and forth um, so passing ships said that they saw somebody on the the shelf of the lighthouse waving back and forth but it was really a, a corpse and Howell was with this corpse staring at him for anywhere from three weeks to months nobody really knows how long it was and by the end of it he was a shell of a man and I just found that so disturbing and so interesting. And also after that incident, it was mandatory that there were three lighthouse keepers, not two, just in case something like that happened.
1: Yeah, I was trying to read as much as I could about this story and just every was just, oh yeah, every time it waved, he was scared to death and it just got worse and worse till he just broke. Yeah. He wasn't thinking it was the wind. He thought he was waving to him.
2: And it's, you know, and of course, you know, you have to think about the isolation and uh, how hard it is to be a lighthouse worker. And also, you know, they are working with toxic chemicals. A lot of the times the lights were um, floating on uh, mercury, a bed of mercury, to keep it smooth. And of course, you had to clean this. It was liquid mercury. They had to clean it as well. So they'd have to strain the mercury through cloth. So um, so there are a lot of stories that come out of lighthouses of light keepers who went mad or light keepers that saw ghosts or anything. And it, some of it was probably mercury poisoning because they were working very closely with liquid mercury. But uh, so I don't think that helped anything. I don't think it helped lighthouses get a better reputation.
1: No, and, and you know, and Wake says pretty early on, right? Uh, Boredom turns men into villains. So yes. you know, ex- ex- extreme isolation, or isolation with someone you don't get along with or don't like, or and I mean, even the first dinner when Ephraim refuses to, the drink to, um, you know, you have to cheers or it's bad luck. Like, oh, we're just starting off on a terrible footing here, folks. And you know, was, I think his exact he says doldrums, doldrums eviler than the devil, boredom turns men into villains.
2: I can't, I can't imagine that. I'm not even really that much. I'm I'm a bit of an extrovert, um, more of an introverted extrovert, but I I can't imagine being isolated on an island for months at a time without any way to get off and doing just hard labor. What a, what a life.
1: And then to find out you're not going to get paid.
2: Oof. Well, but okay. The other part about this is, this is what he's yelling to him. But I don't know if I necessarily believe what what he's saying. Can we believe anything that either of them say? They both lie right? so often throughout this film.
0: And that's what makes it that's what makes it a tricky watch. Um, and and I agree that we are you know we're definitely seeing this through Thomas Howard slash Ephraim Winslow's eyes. There's only one. There's a moment that it doesn't stick to that idea. And it's, it's early on in the movie. uh, And you could still say that this is a projection that, or that this could be a projection that uh, the Robert Pattinson character had of Defoe, but it's Defoe in the lighthouse being like to ye, you beauty. And like, he's got his shirt off and he's in the lighthouse, but that's theoretically a moment that Pattinson's character would not have been, been there to see and it's the only like if we want to you know live in a world where uh and and again I, I i agree that there's multiple ways to look at this movie but if if you're watching it from the point of view that is uh is Ephraim creating thomas uh whose last name happens to be wake um that uh that's the only moment where it doesn't really work because there's no real way for him to have been there to see that to hear that line unless we're just stretching to him imagining it. But everything else, Defoe's like there, so it's, it, yeah,
1: yeah. Because the other times when Ephraim sees Wake in the lighthouse, like there's the time when he sees them when he you know, unrobed and you know. Ephraim's shadow turns into that of Wakes. You know, that happens. That's the only separate time. So, you know, we know he's down there being a creep and watching. So is it a full... Like, what is it at that point? Because it's not like later on when we see when he's literally under the grate.
2: And we see the tentacles.
1: Yeah. Which... The tentacles were interesting. because The Proteus versus Prometheus part, I thought was an awesome part of this movie that takes work. Because... They, they don't, this movie makes you do work if you want to do work, and I appreciate that. I like, I like, I like movies that, I don't want all this laid out. Like, I don't want, ah, Proteus, The Old Man at the Sea, the, um... You know the prophetic sea god no we see the tentacles then later on when he's fighting him, and he has the horns and everything and then you know just knowing how it connects with the prometheus and everything like i thought that's more interesting to go find out about after and then it adds so much to it um especially since he you know predicts the death
2: i think that uh one of my well that was one of my favorite aspects of it i love be- well again i love mythology big surprise so i i really appreciated those connections and the idea that it were it was two separate gods who really i don't believe i've ever read any any myth where proteus and prometheus ever spent any time together so i i loved the idea of smashing them together and it also gave me the, the idea and it's not my own original idea i mean many many people have this idea on the internet but of of maybe we're not even watching something that's on the earth maybe this is literally two gods who are are just doing what gods do because we we don't see anybody except for the figments of their imaginations right or or the uh creatures that come out depending on the way you want to see it so it it could be literally two different gods just trying to go against each other and also it's it could be an allegory for like the old way and the new way because Prometheus has always been seen at, well, not always, but in the, let me go down to my Prometheus notes, in um, Western classic literary, uh, literary tradition, Prometheus is a figurehead of like human growth, especially in science, but it's also the idea of overreaching, and in overreaching we get unintended consequences. I mean, look at Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So I think it's very interesting to put that that idea of Prometheus in there because he is somewhat overreaching, and he he does end up creating his own doom. Even though he was told that would happen, like it, it is stated early in the movie that that will happen, and he does it anyways.
1: Right, but that's that's his whole thing, right? Stealing the fire, so he had to. Yeah. Um, you know, because I know it wasn't Proteus, but he defies gods, right? So mm-hmm. in this world, even if it's not God to God, Wake is the leader, the God, the authoritarian, earned or unearned. So having having that be it, that he's just, he's going to do it no matter what for, what did he say? Salvation is what Wake said the first one. Whatever it was, whatever was in the lantern, he had to find out despite... Because what I learned about Proteus was even though he had all the information, he didn't like sharing the information.
2: No, he didn't he withheld. So
1: he he wanted you to kind of he you had to kind of get there, even though he could communicate with everything.
2: He also was a shapeshifter, so I found it very interesting when um, when Howard is strangling yeah. Wake, he's changing into these different creatures and different people before he becomes Proteus and. It gave me the idea that uh, maybe when howard came here uh this kind of goes back to like seeing the tentacles and seeing the creatures and the mermaids and everything maybe those ideas were sprung from being with wake because wake is the one who's talking about sea monsters wake is the one who's talking about being on the ocean and about these um, folklore traditions of sailors so maybe what he's seeing are figments of his imagination that were sewed by the things that wake has told him
1: right because the, you know the push pull of the relationship with wake where he wants his approval but he also wants him out so yeah it would make sense that the things wake says he really internalizes that way and i mean he, even you know he blames him for the scrimshaw mermaid right like oh, that's where yeah. you put it there
2: did uh, either of you have a favorite shot in this film
1: my favorite shot, I, I, I really love the way this is shot. I, I think everything looks great and, and for such a claustrophobic setting is so cool. But the, um, at the end, as they're just both absolutely lost their shit, right before the waves crash into the house, the shot of the lighthouse with the waves crashing over it, I think is the coolest shot in the movie.
2: It's a good one. Any any shot of the waves, I really just was kind of overwhelmed by. I also have a fear of the ocean. I don't like um, large bodies of water. I assume that Cthulhu is going to come and murder me, even though he is sleeping forever in a death-like state. Um, and I, I don't I don't enjoy it. I don't think I'll ever go on a cruise. My parents love going on cruises. They always ask my husband and I to go. And I I don't think I could do it because the vastness of the ocean really, really shocks me and it it scares me when I see it. I, I, I will put my toe in the water when I go to a beach and that's it. I don't wanna go swimming.
1: Oh, I love the ocean. I, 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 I If I'm there, I'm in all day.
2: Oh, good for you. I wish I could do that. I wish I could, but I just like feel myself get this like dread deep in my chest.
1: What about you? What's your favorite shop, right?
2: Um, so my favorite shot is, uh, the shot of the, um, so it's, it's when we first go through the lighthouse up to the light, uh, because I, I, am kind of obsessed with the light, uh, big surprise. And it's that very slow shot where you go up the spiral staircase. There's the clanging of the, of the, um, of the, the chains. I was like the metal things, the metal things that hook the chains, uh, they as you go up and you come onto the the beacon the light and it does seem so much like it's it's some foreign creature that we cannot comprehend as we're just the way that it is shown to us and from the look on um, on Wake's face it's just it's it's brilliant it's so I I was fully in at that point I was blown away by that shot it's just masterful
0: that's awesome
2: absolutely masterful
0: adam what about you you know the i wrote down a couple times both on my like sheet of paper for this last watch but then my from my notes i took uh the first time this is like in every frame is a painting kind of movie um the yeah. the cinematography is gorgeous and like uh, I mean any like, any exterior shot whether it's a storm or not uh, they're all I mean they're all good but I really like the uh, the way when um, it's one of the maybe the first night uh or the second night but Pattinson like he's walking past the water and the logs part ways and he goes out because he sees the body and it's like it's om- the, like he just steps in but then like it, when it cuts back to him it's almost instantly up to his neck and the the hard cut to that and like his his reaction, I think as as shots go, I think I that might be my favorite. But I, I, this this is a movie where so much detail was put into like the lighting with like the candles and stuff that like, like there really isn't a shot in the movie that isn't worthy of, of breaking down because that's that's across the board. They're all just they're all really good.
2: It's kind of what the movie is about. It's about painting those pictures.
1: Yeah, and making it making it coherent and pass one to one. Yeah, Adam, I love that scene too. He's all of a sudden, with when underwater, it's also really the first time we see Ephraim react more than his very controlled reaction to things. Yeah. So we talked about Ephraim a little bit. What about what about Wake? You know, what did he, was he away for thirteen Christmases, or was it scurvy? What's the story with Mr. Wake?
2: I've read a lot of um, a lot of articles where people call Wake the villain and I can understand why they say that because t- his role is villainous and he's a terrible boss. But I don't necessarily think that's fair. I don't really know if there's a, a protagonist or an antagonist in this film. I think that they both can fill that. Very neatly and nicely. Um, and I don't, I actually feel more connected to Wake's character than I do to to Howard. I, I, I think that it's a better, first off, I think that it's a much better performance from uh, Willem Dafoe than it is from Robert Pattinson. I think they both do a great job, but I just believe him so much more. And... And so that that automatically draws me to him as well. I think there are times where I'm like, Pattinson, pull it back a little bit. You're a little too much. But, uh, and that's probably my one of my gripes of this movie. Pattinson was a little too much for me. But I also just think that he, his, he is so good with that dialogue. That is not easy to do. And I do feel like he is able to say those lines in such a, a convincing way. Even though they are so intense and so overly... They're a bit overdone, but I still really appreciated them.
0: Oh, man. He gets a Shakespearean soliloquy in this movie. I know. and, and And, well, and that's, there are, you know, I won't, I will limit myself, but like there are really so many theatrical connections. I mean, obviously the Eggers brothers have it. Uh, and Robert Eggers going to AMDA and directing theater before doing The Witch. I mean, that's all there. And you can feel, this feels like a two-person stage show. I mean, obviously there's a lot of extraneous stuff in the water, and I mean, you probably couldn't stage this, but it's got those vibes, like two people in a room. I mean, when the, when they're when they're just conversation heavy, it feels very theatrical in that sense. Um, but I, I totally agree, though. I mean, De- well, I agree with you on Defoe. Uh, I think Defoe gets to, he gets to chew on this on this dialogue and instead of uh he but he doesn't like he doesn't scarf it down you know he like he savors it and that's like why the hark triton hark speech is as good as it is because it's he's not rushing through it I mean and he's he's yeah he's embellishing every word and it's ah yeah it's it's fantastic
2: oh yeah I
1: mean the that's my favorite scene uh Defoe. Defoe's the Triton Hark, Hark Triton to Hark. I love that, watching him just sit there and just staying with him as he does it. I think Defoe is just unbelievable in this. I also, though, I really like Pattinson as the middle of nowhere New Hampshire, just trying to figure it out, whatever the reality is. I love how just all over the place and insecure and damaged he is and and I believe the over the topness from all of that.
2: I I agree. I th- I think he's great. I really don't know if if this film would have worked with any other actors. I am truly I don't know who else I would have put in here. Um I just I think it's probably that Robert Pattinson's not my favorite actor to watch in general. I think he does a great job. I just for me, I'm not really sure. I, I I need to see him in things as much, but um, and I I just don't know if hit for me his performance hit the same level as um, as Willem Dafoe's. until the end. I think the last the last portion of the movie he really nails it for
0: me. I I I mean I agree. I I, I think Defoe steals the, the movie in that way. Um, but this was I you know this is the part of Pattinson's career where like he's he's trying to shed the twilight of it all and he's doing like he's working with the Safties and he's working with uh claire denis and he's like he's doing some really cool st- i mean in- including oh, this yeah. like he's you know and it's it's i remember you know because i had the same thought when we all heard like when heath ledger was going to be the joker instantly is like fuck come on and so like when we heard pattinson was going to be batman there was like big contingency of like the twilight guy and i'm like yeah but if if that's what you're going <laughs> you to miss you some to, stuff yeah you haven't seen what he's been trying to do like he's he's been shedding that I, I, and I think he did a, a pretty good job of, of getting that uh what was he Edward that was his name right Edward
2: yeah and he was also in Harry Potter
0: yeah at such he was in Harry Potter yeah,
2: yeah he was in the fourth one he was, uh, was he? Oh. Diggory
0: yep Cedric Diggory
1: okay and he you know listen you do the you he was a vampire in Twilight right so yes. you're a vampire yeah. for a bunch <laughs> of years you want to get past it right so then you you go into good time I think he's awesome in that yeah. I don't I'm not a I'm not really a fan of Tenet, but I do like him
0: a lot in Tenet. Um kind of forgot about, kind of forgot that he was in Tenet, to be perfectly honest. But he's yeah, he's pretty good at it. He
2: you know, he's, he's the only thing I, I remember
0: that. from it, he's the
1: only thing I remember. Like I don't I have seen the movie twice. I couldn't tell you what it's about, but I remember him. I like him. I I really like him in this. I like him as in Batman. So, you know, I I think he's doing a good job of getting you Know away or something because listen, I, I have very limited knowledge of Twilight's and Harry Potter, so you know, moving into this, where I'm the guy I really like, like, he's someone who easily could be written off as that guy. Who I think the other, the werewolf guy from Twilight, kind of is, right?
0: Like, I think, right? like, I think him...
1: he got stuck in that. Where I think you know, Pattinson's had, um, you know, for lack of, a lot of terms, he's he's taken a lot of shots and he's willing to go out and do. Do some things that other people wouldn't do and i think it's really boded well for him
2: oh i i agree he definitely takes chances and i think it's uh i watched an interview with him and defoe and uh eggers and robert eggers was like i don't really want to bring up twilight and um and harry potter but i'm kind of going to because i find that you aren't working in that kind of a thing very often anymore so were you looking to kind of work with more want to be our tour directors like myself or did you always consider yourself working on these kind of films and he said honestly every single film i, I go for I, I have the same outlook and i i want it to be like as good as it can be and i always consider it an art tour film even if it's not so and, and it was just kind of interesting the way he, his outlook on the whole thing i also found it interesting that when they uh, both willem dafoe and robert eggers come from a theater background and Robert Pattinson does not. So they were talking about how in rehearsals, which was basically just blocking, except Willem Dafoe gives 125% no matter what he does. So even in rehearsals when Robert Eggers is like, I don't I don't need to see anything. I just want you to do the blocking. He's going for it. Whereas Robert Pattinson gets really uncomfortable rehearsing too much because he feels like he's gonna be faking it when he does it which i don't agree with but that's because i'm a theater actor so it's a different line of thinking but he he was super uncomfortable doing rehearsals and didn't want to do them and it really did kind of build this this tension between the two of them that is absolutely palpable on screen it is it it works really well for me I, i i i can feel it i can it's like you're seething just looking at the two of them sitting together. And I I think it's really interesting that that was built in rehearsal when Robert Pattinson was like, I'm far too stupid to be in this room with these two people who are talking about all of these books I will never read and all of these ideas that I've never heard of. And it was just very interesting. And they all were very cordial and super fun in all of their interviews. But I thought that was a really interesting... An interesting anecdote because I'm sure Adam has also worked with people before in theater where it's like, oh, we don't, we do not have the same, uh, the same outlook on this work, but we just got to get through it. And we got to figure out a way to make our two separate ways of working become something whole because that's what they needed to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, that tension, and it, it comes across because, you know, we brought we talked about Misery briefly before, right? Kathy Bates wanted to rehearse everything. James Caan was not rehearsing anything. So, you know, so there is something to it, but it, you, know, you can't fake that. You can't hire people with two different styles and hope it works out. You have to have two people who are really buying into what you're all doing and take a stand on what they think is the best way to make whatever project they're doing better.
0: Well, and I think what what both of them brought, whether it's a, a theater or a film background, I think what they both bring is this, um this acceptance that they're servicing the, the, the writer director, right. That they're not out there for themselves to showcase either their, you know, look at my theater background, look at my film background, that they're there to, to tell the story. And so, yeah. And I, I, I mean, I agree. I think that the tension is, is, uh, is, is, is palpable. There are a couple of things I'll bring up at some point, but um, uh, but yeah, it's it's it, it it works really well. I mean, whatever whatever they did, um, led to a very interesting dynamic on screen.
1: Yeah, because I mean, if there wasn't a chemistry or tension, this movie is brutal, right? Like it's just not fun. It's not pleasant watching two people with no chemistry going back and forth. Like the scene, the lobster scene, right? Like, the sadness that he's, you know, wants to fuck a steak, and then just the, damn ye, let Neptune strike ye dead over you know, and then, alright, alright, I like your food, and then next scene it's laying on, oh, why are you spilling your beans, Tommy? Like, just the whole stress of that, it has to be, there has to be some believability to the relationship that's been built already, and Adam's about to shit on that. (laughs) i'm sorry your your eyes
2: (laughs) why did you spill your beans tommy is my favorite scene just have to say it when they end in that that motif of uh of him looking down of wake looking down on howard and his eyes are glowing onto him and Willem defoe is naked and it's based on a painting but i can't find where which painting it is i do apologize it's in my notes somewhere but there's no use looking for it um that that scene is my favorite i it just the escalation of that scene is fantastic and it's funny my favorite scene is like a robert pattinson monologue um but i think it works really well and i think it's one of the maybe one of the only truths we're going to see in this film it felt a, a truth into a a bonkers scene where willem defoe's naked it. it's great uh i i just I after really after liked...
1: pattinson found himself when he turned him yes, over and it's himself course, course, to turn yes. into the light Oh, I think the whole thing is just fantastic, and you have to believe that Ephraim both hates and wants the approval of Wake for any of this to make sense.
0: Uh, well, I,
1: he,
0: oh, go for it. Uh, no, I, I just, I just, uh, so many things. No, I the the, <laughs> the lobster conversation, like that. Wake, Wake being so close, I, I would say to the point of tears that that Ephraim does not like his lobster. Um, this this. Part of what makes this movie great and also confuses me is the the huge tonal shifts. Because this movie is also fucking hilarious at points, um, which is which is not wrong or bad, uh, but I definitely have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. Because I just you're fond of me, lobster, ain't you? And he's like he's like he was like no no I, I'm not and then uh, yeah and then yes I'm not gonna time. say it and that and that's <laughs> also that is also my favorite scene. Joey is that one there, but I have to include the lobster bit beforehand because that's what gets us into it um that's the propellant
1: and ephraim's reaction when he's like laying in there and he's scared that he's getting cursed even though he doesn't know if he believes it or not but the guy cursing him believes it so heartily it's scaring the shit out of him
2: it's so good it's just fucking brilliant that and that the writing on that specific on the curse is i felt it i felt like i was getting cursed the audience is getting cursed from this this monologue that's being given it's
1: because the People foe doesn't blink for two minutes and just is I brilliant. I do that.
2: I absolutely could not do that. So it's, oh, uh, it's beautiful. It's amazing. I love it.
0: And then, and then, no, my, you smell like piss. You smell like jism, like rotten dick, like curdled foreskin, like hot onions fucked a farmyard shithouse. I mean, wow. Though, I mean, talk about some lines you get to say. That's, that's, that's. <laughs> and imagine that's not
1: what upsets you. It's that the guy doesn't like your lobster. I'm
2: going to be honest. <laughs> I love cooking and, and I get highly offended if somebody thinks my cooking is just all right. So I can understand why he got really offended by that
1: personally. I pretend, I, I pretend I don't and then I make that thing like 30 more times to try to figure it out.
2: Uh, every time I make something new I always have my husband try it first and say okay what can I do differently he's like no I'm not gonna no how dare you just eat it and, and see for yourself and I'm like no I need to know I need to know but the I think one of the strongest parts back to the language um, one of the strongest parts in this movie is the language I think that the dialogue is very good and the research the amount of time that yeah, yeah. went into perfecting the dialogue is incredible and I wish other people were to would do the same thing because the historical accuracy of this movie really does make it for me. It feels so lived in and um, I don't think this is necessarily a pleasant movie to watch. I don't think you should ever go into something like this thinking I'm gonna have a roll up and good time watching these two lighthouse keepers. But I think that The saving grace... Well, I don't want to say saving graces because I actually love this film. I'm just going to let you both know this right now. I I, I fucking love this movie. Big fucking surprise. Um, But it's... I I think that the language is one of the things that really, really makes it for me. It's so poignant and, and well done.
1: Yeah, the language always stands out for me because there's two people and they're both speaking completely different languages. You know, it's the Atlantic Sea Captain with all the mythology... And that's a guy, and again, they, they found a dialect from a middle of the woods in New Hampshire. Like, it's a very specific place, very specific location and time. Like, it all matters. So, the you know, having those come together makes for very interesting and fun to kind of deep dive things. But it's also hard to get your bearings a lot of the time, which I think is part of the purpose of everything right to keep you off kilter and it's part of the environment really messing
0: with you well and and to piggyback on the dialogue like it's not just that because i definitely noted like early on like the period detail to the dialogue is great it's it's what helps draw you in but then and like just just doing a little bit of research like uh the Eggers being inspired by playwrights like Samuel Beckett and Harold Pinter and Sam Shepard. and the fact that these guys are all of those, I mean I mean fucking Beckett did waiting for Godot and uh Harold P- Harold Pinter did among other things uh, the dumb waiter, which is all two guys in a room waiting to go basically kill a guy. And it's um. so the fact that you've got this, he's inspired by these, I mean, Sam Shepard is uh, is American, but like basically like these European writers who are good at writing back and forth dialogue, but then he's also on top of it, adding the period detail. Like it's one thing if you just have the period detail, and it's another thing if you have the snappy dialogue, but to have them both is great. And that's why I'm so mad that this movie doesn't click for me. Cause I fucking love the dialogue and I wish, and I, and Joey, you've said this earlier and I, I'm totally with you. I don't want to be spoon fed uh, a, a, a plot either, but I, I think that this was, I, I, I think this, I hate to use this phrase. I, I hate fucking cliches, but like this movie is trying to have its cake and eat it too. And, uh, and for, there's just, there are, there, there are, there's like too many, there's too many cooks in the kitchen, I guess. Another fucking cliche, but like, I don't know. There's just something that's not, in the role. There's too many, there's just too many things. And like, I feel like as soon as I feel like I have a grasp on one, I have to grasp another thing. And then a the third thing comes up and I have to let something go so I can get to the next thing. And it, it, there are like, like the, uh, the, uh, and I'm so glad you brought up the image of Pattinson finding Pattinson and then Defoe and the image, like again, every frame of painting, put that on a poster with the word lighthouse over it. And I'd hang it down here. Cause that's awesome. But like, there's so many things like that, and it's like, are they all connected? Are they not? We were talking about, uh, like, Proteus and Prometheus. Is that relevant to the idea of, like, it, is, is everything in in uh, Ephraim's head? And it's like, all of those can be their own thing, but it's like, at some point, it's like, can't this focus? Like, Where's give me a couple of tracks to stay on.
2: And I do want to say that when we we say Ephraim or Howard, we're talking about the same character. Yeah. It's, I, just, I just want to let the audience know there aren't three people. There's just two. Uh, but um, no, and I think...
1: Somehow um, we've stuck away from Winslow to really confuse it.
2: <laughs> I do think that for me, that's actually one of the strengths because it makes me keep it, it keeps throwing something at me that I have to digest and have to try to keep up with um, when, when you're going through this film. And one thing I think that comes from is probably from the um, the Lovecraftian or cosmic horror aspects that are, are peppered in this script. So um, if, if people aren't aware of cosmic horror, cosmic horror is like it was originated by H.P. Lovecraft basically and it emphasizes the unknowable and the incomprehensible so it's very much about it stretches how like insignificant we all are in the cosmos right so i think that it and, and the idea of making this type of story is you have to make a large story about very small things and i think that's what robert eggers did here it's it's a pretty wa- like the lighthouse itself is in this huge body of water that is basically an element uh, to itself. It doesn't matter what happens to either of the characters in this. When they die, the sea will still be there. The wind will see still be there. The seagulls will still be there, as we see. And I think that in that in that idea, that's that's where these these themes keep coming up. They keep being thrown in and peppered throughout, and for me, it worked. It worked really well. It kept me constantly on the edge of my seat. It kept it kept me thinking. It kept me writing, jotting down little notes of things that I needed to look up afterward, and like words I needed to figure out and and find these connections that obvious. It it it, it just worked for me. I really loved it.
1: Yeah, and it it, it works for me as well um, because I like that it always keeps you on your toes and you know Adam like you said when you know your grasp things are trying to let go like I like that because I think that's something that people people might have tried to do where it doesn't feel like there's value to it but here it feels like there's a payoff because listen do I know I have theories of what I think pop in do I know no and I think that's great and I'm happy with that because for me that works because you know I like to I rewatch movies a lot and I watch stupid movies with no themes a lot. So having a movie with a lot of themes that I get to kind of go back to and find different things each time is rewarding for me. And I, I think this movie does it a really, in a really good way,
0: and, and, and while and, being chaotic. Yeah, and, and it's so funny because I normally this is the kind of movie that I I I think I would normally like. And because two other movies that come to mind when we like kind of theme heavy movies that are very open to interpretation. Um, one we did on the show, which was, uh, Andrei Tarkovsky's Stalker. Um, and, uh, and then the other one is, uh, which will be coming up in a way in a little bit, uh, is Mulholland Drive. And, uh, like, and those, I love rewatching those movies because I, because of that, like each time I dig deeper, I find more, but I, and I don't know, I, I, truth be told, I don't know what it is about this movie that keeps me more at bay than other than others that are like that.
2: And that's, that's okay. I mean, I think that that's a... I, I can understand where you're coming from. I think that this movie is definitely a film that I... The first time I watched it, I didn't know how I felt about it. I, I definitely thought, okay, I, I'm not sure I need to revisit this. And then in rewatching it for this, I've kind of completely turned around on it. Um, the more times I watch this film, the more and more I like it to the point where I'm thinking, do I prefer this or do I prefer The Witch? And I, I thought for sure The Witch would... Always be in like my top ten, but now I'm thinking, does the lighthouse s- swoop in there? And I don't know what it is about this film that draws me to it, but there's something so sinister <laughs> about some of some of this some of this film, all of this film. There's something. All oh, of so the s- whole film. <laughs> yeah, the entire film. The entire film's pretty sinister. There's something that captivates me, and I, I really don't think it's for everybody. I, I this is not a film that I would suggest to anybody if someone asks me this isn't a recommend
1: film no
2: absolutely not but is this a film that i will sit and watch by myself absolutely just just for a few more themes
1: that's the the first the first time i watched this i um i watched it on like a friday or saturday night it had just been on it must have been on demand and you know my grant my friend forever bpc co-host um, It ended at like midnight. Grant, you know, truth be told, goes to bed early. I texted Grant to like three AM because I needed somewhere to go with all of my energy for this movie, and I had watched it by myself. And he probably woke up to like sixty texts of my insanity, and I was like, "You need to watch this thing tonight." And then he watched it that day, and his wife was mad at both of us. But then he, um, <laughs> you know, we spoke about it so much, and I do think this is these. I, I think recommending movies to people is tough because you know you have to gauge you know, is it, da-da-da? because, you know, no one wants to come back like, oh, I hated that, but the other thing is, I think some movies aren't for everybody, and I think that's a good thing, but I think some people want movies where it's wrapped up at the end, right, a few, one or two themes, it's wrapped up, and I think that's cool, other people want nothing answered, that's fine, and I think trying to figure out who likes what recommends it's hard, so I think it's, I, I think it makes these more fun when you know, I think the movies that are harder to figure out what does or what does not connect for you makes the discussions more, you know, just more enriching. But, you know, so this movie, The Lighthouse, I, I've seen it. Every time I see it, I get more from it. I
2: agree another agree
1: Rob, Robert, Another Robert Egg, but then, you know, kind of Robert Eggers as, as a movie maker a little bit. We, we t- spoke a little bit about this last week. Um, Northman. The Northman the first time I watched it, I was like, okay, I get why people like it. I like the berserker scene. I like the way it looks. I've now seen it three times. I don't like it now. Like it has gone down in stock like quite heavily each time where I went from like tepid trying to talk myself into it because I was looking forward to it to uh, what was I seeing the first time? And then I watched it again this week and I was like, oh no, I don't, I don't like this. And so I think it's it's having the exact opposite reaction than this where each time I'm I'm, like, excited for it. For this, like, the rewatch, I was like, ugh, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I think the only thing good came from it, I don't like it.
2: I think maybe with that one, he went a little too far into the history, which is fine. I mean, it's supposed to be a historical movie, but it almost got lost in the details in that for me, and there wasn't enough story there for um, for what was being shown, and I also don't think that it was executed as well as, as like, The Lighthouse was. I thought that just the... The value of everything the direction the um the script the uh the the cinematography it was nowhere near what the lighthouse is personally the
0: the reliance on cg and my 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 take is that uh his his films have progressively gotten worse uh and um (laughs) uh my my hope is that nosferatu like just is awesome uh i'm really excited i I, I am looking forward to that I, I, i absolutely am as well um but uh yeah, I rewatched uh, the the witch today, also on the plane. <laughs> uh, and sorry to anybody who was sitting next to me watching those movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's so funny. I love Brittany. I love that you said sinister for this movie because that is th- there's th- this movie is too uh, it's too heavy and w- it, at different times it's like symbolism and surrealism and expressionism. And it's a lot of isms. Um, it's that I, I don't I don't find it sinister. The witch I found sinister. I found that movie to be like very like right right down the like this is just fucking downright creepy and I I dug it I dug every oh, second I of it. Oh, I fucking
1: love it. So, I mean, this might be my hottest take. I'm I I like the witch. I don't love it because I I the end does not pay off for me. So as much as I agree, there's so much. It I feel creepy the entire time, and I'm in and feel like the end is just paced and just doesn't work where no, I, I like I, it. I, I don't fucking, love, I love it. I love the
0: ending.
2: <laughs> When black Philip is talking to her oh. about, about writing her name in the book and then I will guide you everything hand. about it. And then when she floats and I'm like, God damn it. I want to float with them. Um, I would 100% <laughs> choose to be a witch. Like that is, there's no question of that. I am a witch. 1000%. Um, no, I I really am tr- struggling to decide if I prefer this or The Witch. It could be that I've watched I watched this more recently, so I'm just really gravitating towards the lore of it, towards uh, the fact that they, they did use very realistic folklore for the maritime, for maritime, which I thought was really nice. I did find a couple of really fun ones that I wanted to uh, share with you, some maritime myths or superstition to keep it a little bit lighter for a second. So, um, yes, seagulls, who... I'll talk about seag- seagulls very soon because uh, my family is going to be so... I don't like birds, y'all. I really don't. And my family is going to be floored by what I say next. But so seagulls carry fallen like fallen people. We know that. But also, did you know that naked women calm the water? Apparently, there is a myth that naked women calm the water. And that's why they always had naked ladies on the front of their boats because it supposedly calmed the water. Um... Death on board was... That a really sounds like bad...
1: revisionist history when a wife got mad.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. But I still was like, great. I will never calm any water because I don't want to go into it. Um, so a death on board was a very bad omen because the the person could see the entire ship as their coffin and, and sink the entire boat. So they, they believed that that would happen. I liked that. Cats were a good omen. They went out of their way to find black cats or cats with extra toes because apparently they were better at catching rats. But they made sure that the rats didn't spread diseases or chew through any of the um, any of the ropes. I forgot the, the name of a rope. Uh, so they would treat them really, really, really well. So they'd make sure that they had rations. They'd make sure they had a nice warm place to sleep. They treated them like another part of the crew. And um and I, I just thought those three little little myths were nice, and I kind of wish there was a cat in this, but I'm pretty sure it would have died, so.
1: The cat would have had a bad day.
2: Yeah, the cat would have had a very bad day. Uh, instead, we got a seagull,
1: which- We got a mermaid. We, we
2: did, we did, but the seagull is my unsung hero. No
0: shit, me too.
2: Yes! Yeah, no, no, no. Seagull 100% my unsung hero, with and the, I don't like birds, when and that, I fuck That's them.
0: amazing. When that seagull took two steps, looked down, and then looked up at him, I was like, this fucking seagull is killing it. Holy oh, shit. yeah.
2: Well, apparently, um, Robert is after his experience with Black Phillip, was like, I'm never working with animals again, because, funny story, you can't train a goat like that. It just isn't going to happen. So when his brother wrote in seagulls, to the, into the movie he was like absolutely not how dare you and his brother said please just just read the scenes and the scenes were really good so they found three very trained seagulls from england because seagulls are very intelligent creatures and i just found that so great and i the seagull was the catalyst for everything in the film the seagull got his own in the end and honestly i was rooting for the seagull the whole time
0: well, and then and then I mean, it's the seagull won yeah, my, my, my sub-answer to that question is the prop department for the seagull that they made for him to smash. Cause Holy oh, shit. Oh, yeah. Christ. Holy shit.
1: I still don't know that I believe that that wasn't a real seagull <laughs> and they just all turned away and were like, shut up.
2: It was, it was so brutal and so funny at the same time because it kept going. And I will say, another thing in this movie, there are definite moments of incredibly dark humor like when he throws the feces in his face that's oh. fucking hilarious
1: why would you empty a chamber pot into the uh, wind i don't come on what? Ephraim. it's so stupid
2: it's so no matter stupid how hungover you
1: are no one's doing that
2: i mean they seem to drink a lot that night his, so
0: his yell it, it, his, his yell <laughs> more than the feces hit him in the face is what got me <laughs>
1: <laughs> the yell was fantastic
2: there's some really great moments in this movie. Some I loved I mean, when they're um, singing and dancing together. I thought that was great. Old
1: cheese, I, I love sea shanties, so oh, yeah. them them like sl- stomping around singing in the circle. Like I thought that was great. I, I wanted. I could have watched another half hour of that. If there's a director's cut of just sea shanties, I'm in.
2: And then they're mixing uh, turpentine and honey, and you're just
1: oh, like, oh, this isn't funny
0: anymore. Monkey like paw. <laughs> Well, and then well and then you, when they're they're dancing but then when they're when they cuts to them slow dancing and then they're like is they not don't get no i know fuck you we're gonna fight because we're men we don't do this like i was like oh wow wow we're just playing into all the uh the stereotypes there
2: well i do feel like there's a lot of a very strong undertone of toxic masculinity throughout this entire film which i think is really like cult was incredibly culturally relevant well let me try that again was incredibly culturally relevant in 2019 still is today and i think that that's a really important aspect of this film i think that with the the fact that howard or ephraim as much as he hates wake he does want wake to uh to understand him and to praise him for things that he has What's done his as- approval he wants his approval so badly and when he's saying you know you're not my this you're not my that he ends with you're not my father which wake has never said he was or expressed and he's never called him son he called him lad you know that they're totally different or things. dog <laughs> and dog yeah so
1: you're not my father
2: it's i think that's a really important theme in this in this as well a very strong theme i think that that's something that they explore very well you know, considering Oedipal, I mean,
1: wake, wake, being married to the light—that's the mom and the dad in this whole in the edipal, edipalness of it.
0: I well, I mean, the edipal comment—it's it, it, like I, I think now, and because I've watched this because watching this twice in, in you know a very short frame of uh, of time, it's like I all like and and yeah, like and yes, toxic masculinity is definitely. But beneath the surface and at times very much at, right at the surface. Um, and it's, again, it's not like, like any of these ideas or themes that the the movie is exploring are interesting. Like, and that's the thing is like every single one of them in their moments is interesting. I also, and then again, and then this movie turns into like, I mean the when, when, uh, uh, uh when Wake is like, you like my lobster doesn't he, they like, call him like an old bitch. Like he's like Yeah. And it's like and then they they actually turn into they're a couple for a moment. And like to me, this moment is all of these really unique little moments that maybe eventually I will connect together, but right now they're not. And that I think that's my thing is I'm not I'm not putting these pieces together. And I can watch it more I can like a straightforward movie where it's just like, is is Ephraim slowly losing his mind? Racking rack you know uh, the the inner turmoil of having basically let a guy die and that's sort of this is what's going on. but watching it just from that point of view really leaves out all the other stuff but if I if like for me if I bring in all the other stuff, it's like it's it's I don't know yeah, it's too much too much.
2: <laughs> and I can see that I can see that it could be too much, but I also think it would not be enough if you just took one or two of those themes and made it into a film like into this specific film. If we just focused on his alcoholism, it wouldn't be a full film. If we just focused on the toxic masculinity, it wouldn't be a full film. If we just focused on the folklore, it would feel unfinished. I think that it's, I think that that's a part of the isolation that the lighthouse brings us, right? Like everything is being thrown into this tiny space because there is no other place for it to go it's so claustrophobic and everything's kind of swirling together in the middle and there's no place for it to really go except for to explode which is the ending where he's
0: so i wanted i i wanted to bring up the ending specifically um because in a, this last viewing really really threw me for a loop um so he you know he finally so he's he's fucking he's buried He's fucking buried, wake alive, uh, which, burying him alive. Jesus, Defoe gets props just for talking with dirt getting thrown in his mouth. Um, but, <laughs> but so that that all happens, and then he gets the key, and he's he has his his you know he's he's going up, he's going up the lighthouse, and he gets in, and the I I I do like that the the door inside the light just kind of opens, and. And then we get a whole other style of of movie making where we get the like scratchy sound and he's yelling and it's, it's like uber saturated and, and that's what's going on. And then he just, he falls and he tumbles down the stairs and he clearly, we clearly see him land at the bottom of the stairs, fade to black, fade up. And now he's seemingly on the shoreline getting, uh, pecked and shat on and I mean he let's let's be real Ephraim's not in good shape at that moment he's not tough time very good uh and, and the lighthouse is gone but it, but like it's I so what do we I don't know I, I I say we fuck that I don't what do you two make of that like what do you make of the fact that like we we just go to a different a different place and time
2: I don't think we're supposed to comprehend it to be perfectly honest. I and I, I think that that's one of the beauties of the movie, the ambiguity. I think I think what it what it possibly could be is is his own death, right? Like the the what's flashing before his eyes before he dies is being on those rocks. Because we get the whiteout, right? So it goes down, we get the whiteout, which symbolizes in a lot of movies death. So the next shot could be just what he sees when he dies, which is him lying on the rocks with these fucking seagulls all around him. I'm sorry, I'm swearing so much today. It's It's been a day. I I apologize to everybody. But um, I, I think it could be his, his death rolls. I also think it could be unknowable because I think this is potentially one of the better cosmic horrors out there. I don't necessarily think we're supposed to know what's happening. When he looks into that light, he could be looking in and seeing that there's nothing there, or he could be looking in and he's seen the entire universe. And that is why he dies because he's unable to comprehend it. I actually had this idea watching it this time through um, at 6 a.m. Big surprise, uh, the best time to watch The Lighthouse, friends. So if you want to watch it at a good time, watch it at 6 a.m. when it's raining cats and dogs outside. But um, I had this idea that every single time he sees a mermaid, a tentacle, um has a vision they're all because we see most of this film from howard's point of view we're not actually seeing what he sees we're seeing what his brain is trying to tell us he sees because he's unable to comprehend the things that he's seeing. so when he sees a creature on the beach it becomes a mermaid because he has the mermaid statue when he sees the eldritch abomination coming out of the the light it's, he's, he sees tentacles because he's heard of sea serpents and he's heard of sea creatures and he's being influenced by what Wake is telling him. And so that's what I kind of went into this time that his, his mind was giving us projections of what he the ideas that he had because he couldn't comprehend what was really happening to him. Which is a really artsy, dumb way to look at it and I understand that, but I accept it because Cosmic Horror, thank you
1: yeah, you know, the, the the lighthouse being gone after all this, whether it means it is salvation or death or nothing, and I I think it's fun to think about each one, and, you know, did, you know, the lighthouse and the seagulls won, did, where's, you know, what, you know, Wake's gone, and just the fact, you know, that the, his eye's gone, just like the last keeper, and what happened with that, and that, and trying to find the connections with the last keeper, and Wake, and Ephraim, and everyone, and you know what 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 the lantern actually is and oh man I think it's I think it's meant to be kind of each time something different right based off how you look at it because I think there are so many themes in which which kind of connects where all right maybe he did see something and then oh I don't know how he didn't automatically die from down those stairs I think that's the biggest problem but
2: <laughs> well there's also the idea that he's in purgatory right this isn't real life we're not right so that's a big if...
1: theory right
2: yeah yeah exactly so so even if he's not even even if they're not you know prometheus and proteus if they're not gods doing god things in the god realm there's the idea that he's in purgatory and he's doing the same thing over and over again and he will never he'll never find peace because he's he's incapable of it or he hasn't uh he hasn't been deemed worthy of it or whatever you want to believe and there's also the idea that Wake says where he said, you know, you could still be running around in the in Canada dying of hypothermia. So I think it, it one of the beautiful things about this movie is it's so open for interpretation. There's so many theories, so many ideas that you can grasp onto and um And I even found today, as we were discussing whether we were going to be recording today or not, just due to life, um, I I was a little excited because I had run across a couple articles and a couple rabbit holes I hadn't been able to go down. And I thought, oh, yes, I can read all about mystical light, which I didn't get a chance to read about. But I had some articles pulled up and I was so excited to read them. I probably will still go home and do that. But there are so many threads in this movie. There's so many things that you can grasp onto. So I think it's it really is just open to your own interpretation. I mean, what do you, what do you think happens at the end, Adam?
0: Uh, well, I, I, even don't,
1: just, I don't know. <laughs> just, but he, you know, even the story of Prometheus. Prometheus's punishment for stealing the light is every you know he's chained up, and every day an eagle comes and picks at his organs. So it's even the continuation of the Prometheus story.
2: And the eagle is Zeus. Right. So.
0: And I think the, the, the problem that I, I I'm probably running into is that when it when it starts, it it plays so naturalistically, it's it feels very, you know, it, it's you know, it takes a while before we really get into some of the the the, the horror elements, the the things that are kind of like, are, are we seeing what we're really seeing kind of moments in, in the movie? Um but yeah, when it when it ends, I'm I I, I don't know. I, I definitely feel more confounded than anything else. And and I usually don't f- feel that way when when movies end like that, but I don't know. I, yeah, I think I'm I'm still I'm still stuck. I'm stuck. And that's what's uh that's it. it's, it's it's holding me back.
2: That's okay. We don't have to agree on every film.
0: Yeah, no, this, this is probably one of them
2: <laughs> Yep, I, I think this is definitely one of them I, I was uh, talking to Neil about it today and um, I said yeah I'm really glad I did not watch that movie with you because I was trying to convince him I was like yeah I've seen it once you should see it with me and um, he I watched it again and I thought oh my god he would hate every second of this uh, Just bec- it's, not, it's it's not for him it's not his type of film and I think that can be said for a lot of people and that's okay there are plenty of movies that are, that everybody else loves that I hate. So it's, I don't know what it is about this movie because there are times when I think about it and I think this is a masterpiece. This is so good. And other times I, I'm not quite sure what I've been watching. And I think that's why I like it because it is so kind of unknowable. I mean, even when you read the script, it's unknowable. there's, nothing in the script except for power farts that those farts are in there and they are described as power farts
1: i mean the farts had to be powerful for to get that much disgust from you from later on i mean my wife went, right turned it on for the face. second when my wife when i watched it for the second time my wife's like oh good you know you're watching that movie again and she's like i'm gonna i'm gonna go out <laughs> but and i get it you know it, it's it's i think you know because We keep saying, like, oh, not everything's for everybody. I feel like this is the most divisive of the not-for-everyone movies. And I'm not 100% sure, but maybe it's just because everything we're saying. And Adam, who's your only, you know, theoretically, this is something you'd get into. It's still not connecting for you, and maybe that's what it is.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I'll probably watch it again in a few years to just kind of see where it sits. But yeah, yeah, just... uh... And I wouldn't even say disappointed, you know, cause I'm still, and, and like, honestly, truth be told, I'm fucking tired. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like I, they're the, like, I, the, the, my synapses might just not be clicking as fast as I'd like them to. And I like, I just might not be putting them together because everything that like, I don't, that's the thing too, is like everything that you both are saying, I'm not sitting here going, no, you know, like I, I totally see and understand and, uh, believe that those are more than valid interpretations of the storytelling I just am not making them on my own and that's where like that's you know what I mean like yeah like you know that's the part oh that's what this is about that's cool you know but like if I don't make that discovery myself it's not quite the same thing it's
1: not you don't feel the enrichment from it when it's when you hear it
2: well and I I do think that I, I fully agree with you on that there are too many themes in this movie, like point blank there are too many things going on at certain times and I mean we haven't even talked about the the like sexual undertones between the two of them which is pretty prevalent throughout the whole thing and honestly I don't think it's necessary (laughs) I was like as watch as I was watching it I thought this this we can cut we don't we don't need this personally but so so I think you absolutely there are so many valid things that you've been saying as well It, it made me think like yeah that's very true what why do I hold this in such high esteem right now? I don't know. It's just something that connects with me very deeply. And I also the find Carly the sea so unknowable <laughs> and so scary.
1: Which makes it fun. All right, so we did everybody's favorite shot and favorite scene, right?
2: Yes, and we both have the sea as our so unsung my, hero.
1: My unsung hero is the dialect of it all. Just because I I, I think it was just so such an effective and strong way to keep everything super impressive in the performances and the research, but also to add to the environmental horrorness of it. So I think that all really works. So that was my unsung hero. The dialogue's beautiful. So before we get into our last question, is there anything anybody else would like to say about The Lighthouse?
2: Well, Mystical Lights, but I can't go into that because I didn't read the articles, so...
1: So then the question is, does this belong in the book? A thousand and one by one. Brett, we'll start with you.
2: Um, I think my answer is very clear. Yes, I think that there, there are so many opportunities to look at this movie in unique ways. And I also don't know what other movies in this book other than Stalker um, ha- have a similar vibe i don't like using that term but have a similar such um, a vibe such a vibe um no like like the rhetoric around this movie is huge and the theories that you can pull out of this movie are vast and many are unknowable and i think that that starts conversations that gets people to look into the time period that not only it's showing but the time period that it was made and i think that's incredibly important and i i honestly i feel like i could talk about this movie for three more hours but we do not need to do that so yes that is a yes from me
0: yes beautiful adam i you know it's i'm gonna say no but the thing is is that and i uh because i was talking to melissa before i came downstairs and it's like there is not I think that Defoe and Pattinson are good. I I think the direction and the cinematography and the production design, like there's no, there's no uh, fault in the filmmaking at all. And and really there's no fault in the dialogue. Like, I mean, there's no, for me, it's, it's a question of, of putting the pieces together. And right now I, I haven't like the, my puzzles all fucked up, right? I'm missing some pieces and that's, and that's where I'm getting hung up. Um, uh, I can't replace it with the movie that I was going to replace it with because I've already used that as a replacement. That movie was It Follows, so I've already done that. But um, but I'll keep it with Eggers, though. And I think uh, I would replace it with The Witch. I, I think, um, uh, on the whole, I enjoy it more. You still get that attention to time-specific dialogue, and you still get that attention to detail and period appropriateness. Um, and there's just something more... I like. I, I really do buy into the... The, the the nature of it i mean I, yeah you could just say it's, it's like a a really dark crucible but fuck it i don't care i really I, I
2: it's better than the crucible well i
0: agree too but like you could it'd be really easy to just kind of riff on that you know but like nah i'm i'm all in i'm all in with the witch and i and honestly i wasn't all in before the rewatch but i watched it was like this is i i'm in i i, I really liked it
1: awesome ah oh, it's, it's a good good uh good replacement All right, so for me, so I I love this movie. I did want to talk myself into saying no so I could put Midsommar in the book. Um, But ultimately, my answer is yes, that this belongs in the book. So, you know, it's a thousand and one movies. It doesn't mean it's a thousand and one movies you like. It's a thousand and one movies you should see. And I I think this movie, more than any other movie, people who don't like it want to talk about it a lot. Like a lot of movies people don't like, they move on from this seems to get something where even I don't like it, but I want to talk about it. You know, I, I I like a surrealist horror story. I think the performances are great, especially Defoe. Every scene is great. Going back to the old school kind of boxiness ratio of everything. I, I think this movie is I love this movie so much, and and I think people should watch it. I would never recommend it to someone one on one, but uh, you know, I I think in the book, yeah, I I, I think it belongs. So, that is the lighthouse.
2: Woo! That's a that's a heavy movie, friends.
1: Oh man, I know. I feel a little bit lighter now that it's it's closed. That that feels it's weird.
2: <laughs> right, I do too. It's, I don't know. I guess it was so daunting, the idea of coming in and talking about this film because they're, it's just so much.
0: Now is the time for gab and chatter.
2: <laughs> Are you an so actor, good. Adam? My oh goodness. God. That was no, a I, good actor. I really wanted
0: to try to do the, uh, his, um his, his like uh, Pattinson's JFK, like all high and mighty. okay I think maybe
2: that was one of the things I had a problem with because his accent was so inconsistent and I didn't know why they just
0: yeah it was it was it was a lot of stuff
2: (laughs) I just don't understand why they didn't just let him like they could have rewritten some things and let him have his normal accent like we don't need to deal with it also there were plenty of people in Canada that came from England so he could have just had his accent but he wanted
1: to go all in on it
2: (laughs) I guess so I guess so Wow.
1: All right, but so what is our next episode?
2: Well, I believe that our next episode is uh, 1948's The Red Shoes that I incorrectly said I had never seen because apparently I used to watch it a lot when I was a kid. Ah. I just don't remember. So uh, n- next time we'll be talking about that, which I'm really excited about.
1: Me too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one different vibe than we've had
0: the past few few episodes. I think I'm not sure
2: if it'll be happier, <laughs> but I think it'll be a little more knowable.
0: Well, I haven't seen it, so I'm very excited to step into that world. Yeah, i too. Ready for it. Because I,
1: I don't remember farts. what it's
2: about. Less farts. I I bet there are less um onion farts.
0: Oh. If one one would hope. Yeah <laughs> Um before it's we bad. wrap it up,
1: before we wrap it up, please follow us on our socials a thousand and one by one, Twitter, Instagram. We're there, we interact, we have fun. So I'm Joey Rogate.
2: I'm Britt reinhold
0: Thompson. And I'm Adam C. John.
1: See you next time.